Hello everyone and welcome to the Modern Data Show. Today we welcome Murli Kallam, the head of data data platform at Salesforce with over 24 years of industry experience in web and app development, business intelligence and data management. Murli has an impressive tech record of building and managing high performance teams onshore and offshore. He is a firm believer and practitioner of coaching and mentoring individuals to become mindful and empathetic leaders. Murli's expertise in traditional and modern data management, complex cloud migrations and project management skills became a valuable assist to any organization. Uh, with his exp extensive experience in various industries, including finance, automobile, transportation, utilities, and uh, and so on, Murli has an excellent understanding of the solution architecture, product requirements, and development. Stay tuned as we explore Murli's insights and best practices for the data platform management on this episode of the Modern Data Stack Podcast. Welcome to the show, Murli. Thank you, Aish. Thank you. Thank you for all the kind words. Looking forward to this podcast show. Amazing. So, Murli, let's start with the first question. You have, you, have, you know, I, I just happened to check your LinkedIn and you have got a very unusual title. So, you have a title of head of data platforms, but you also have this title in, in you know, somewhere in your LinkedIn, head of office of data. That's a new term. That's a term that you're hearing for the first time. Explain us that term. Well, you know, I've, um, first of all, let me do a quick intro about my background and, uh, and then we'll talk about your specific question. But uh, uh, I... Uh, I was born in India, and then I came to U.S. for my master's and uh, did my computer science in master's. I went to Clemson University, and then um, I, I, I joined uh, um, uh, the workforce as an engineer, uh, rolled up my uh, sleeves, uh, you know, started doing, uh, uh, you know, coding and things like that, and then got into leadership roles. Um and um, and and then you know went from company to company, uh, performing various uh, roles as well as um, tackling different data domain problems. So I had um, uh, you know built a master data management solutions, a homegrown solution that is, and then I have uh, you know led a marketing data team. Uh, I've uh, led uh, you know IT teams from a data warehouse implementation perspective migration of data warehouses and um, and then also um, um, you know data science uh, uh, use cases and so on and so forth and as I uh, kind of navigated that space I realized uh, you know I do not have a whole lot of experience from a governance point of view so that's kind of how I got into the Salesforce role as a you know office of data and then my role kind of pivoted as well and um, um, now I'm heading our data platform, um, you know, for all of Salesforce. We provide uh, a comprehensive uh, and robust data platform for the for the uh, for our internal company use uh, usage, and so that's that's essentially what my role is here. Amazing. And just to go a little deep into that, uh, what does how does your you know data platform looks like? You know what are we talking about? What are the components that we're talking about? Yeah, well, we are currently going through a modernization effort. Um, um, you know, we were largely um, uh, you know having a presence on premise, and uh, so we're going through that effort to modernize our you know our complete uh, our portfolio of products that we offer from a uh, you know data perspective. So we are currently migrating to Snowflake um, as, a, as, a, as a, a data warehouse platform. Uh, we are also leveraging a new 
cloud-friendly ETL tool. Uh, we're also adopting cloud-friendly orchestration tool. Um, the Tableau is a visualization tool. We used to use a different competing product, but we have migrated to Tableau. And it makes it easy because Tableau is now owned by Salesforce. So, so that's that. And we're also providing a um, um, you know, data science platform as a capability for the users as well. So a uh, lot to be done there, a lot to uh, get into, a lot to stabilize and, uh, and uh, make this platform a more uh, user-friendly platform, um, kind of modernized platform, so to speak. Uh, and uh, Murli, what was the key driver behind this modernization project? Was it scalability? Well, very good question. I think so. The driver here is uh, the agility, and um, um, our previous platform was not uh, agile enough and uh, and and scalable enough, and so on and so forth. So we wanted to, you know, build a platform that allows us to migrate um, faster and. Uh, operate faster and, and enable people to uh, use it in a way that um, they were not able to use it before. Um, so, so mainly centered around the business uh, uh, value in terms of agility and so on and so forth. And Murli, uh, often, you know, when we speak with our guests, uh, uh, there is often a question of build versus buy, you know, and you obviously went with probably, you know, probably wouldn't be a very uh, blanket true statement, but you went from building and now to buying, right? You, you mentioned you adopt, you're adopting a cloud ETL tool, you're having cloud data warehouse. Uh, do, does it also have an impact on the engineering resources or the, you know, the, in general, the resources that you have within the cloud data platform? So has it, has it shrunk your data organization? That's, that's my basic question. Um, Good question, uh, but I don't know if it really shrunk it, uh, but we have a very um, resource uh, sensitive focus on how we want to approach this. Um, yes, we were, um, we had an on-premise presence. We still have a little bit of it, but, but that is mainly centered around uh, uh, using appliances. So we were not maintaining a whole lot of infrastructure, so to speak, but, but there, those appliances were also not scalable to a certain extent, because as our data needs were growing, the uh, the appliance were you know can only be um, you know scaled by adding more appliances to it. So so there's no separation of compute and storage uh, philosophy you know through that mechanism. And so I think going to a cloud uh, you know data platform definitely is enabling us. Um, now, uh, I'll, I think a lot of the, the, with the onset of appliances, there used to be that, this term that you, don't, you do not need a DBA, right? I'm sure Snowflake and the likes of it, you know, also would, uh, you know, save uh, to a large extent there, right? And, and I think we optimize our resources wisely to um, manage the platform efficiently. Uh, you know, we might not need a DBA, but we might need somebody to, um, tailor the platform and make sure that there's a proper spend of uh, credits and and you know that the systems are behaving the way they should be 
you know, and things like that. So those are also key focus areas for my organization. Right. And uh, walk us through the the structure of your data team. How is your data team structured? What are the core, uh, you know, functions that you have within your data team? And how does these functions work with the end consumers? How does that, how does that whole orchestration happens? So within Salesforce, we do have uh, data teams outside of, um, uh, you know, the IT organization and part of IT organization. So um, we have data teams that um, build, um, you know, our data insights and so on and so forth. And they are our um, partners uh, where we provide a data warehouse to the, the, you know, those users. And then they, um, they come and consume the, uh, those data sets and then they go build on top of it. So it's, it's a partnership between IT and the business teams to come together and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, pro produce uh, accelerated analytics, so to speak. Uh, and uh, the, the reason I asked that question is, uh, you know, in one of our previous episodes, we spoke uh, with one of the guests where we kind of dive deeper into the whole, uh, you know, topic of data mesh and uh, accountability within the data environment, right? Uh, walk it from your experience. How do you guys set accountability with respect to your data from uh, both, you know, the business facing teams versus, you know, you as an IT owner of the whole, you know, the data platform, who sets the accountability, who sets the responsibility and how do you govern that? Yeah, no, I think that's a very uh, uh, burning question, I would say. I mean, you uh, quite often the industry experts uh, throw um, really, you know, cool buzzwords and jargons out there, you know, the data fabric, data mesh and all that. But I think fundamentally they're trying to uh, talk about the same things that um, um, we, we all have been dealing with for the past several decades. Uh, you know, number one is the trust in data. Do you know what data yeah. you're, you're bringing in? Uh, number two is how do you uh, uh, make it consumable in an easy format? And, and then along with that, uh, who is going to maintain that data and so on and so forth. And, and now you see the evolution of data as a product, which basically means uh, you're selling that as your iPhone, which, which should mean that it has proper documentation, it has proper um, uh, you know, quality, and that's, that, that you know, people can trust it, and, and so on and so forth. And you set out a, you know, a good... Uh, a roadmap of uh, what all features you want to bring in for that data set, which might mean not only its internal data set, you might have to go bring in some, um, uh, you know, augment it with some additional industry data sets and so forth and make it a more comprehensive, uh, you know, data sets and so forth. So, you know, if you look at this uh, end goal, then there, I think from a roles perspective, there are several roles that several people have to play here. And it all depends on the company's um, org structures, dynamics, and the R&Rs, and so on and so forth. First and foremost, I think it starts with uh, the, you know, the data owners and the data product managers. Um, they play a key role, in my view, in defining what the, uh, you know, what consists of their data product. 
and 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 you know how whether they augment the data you know how do we they make sure that uh, um, uh, the the documentation the KPIs the metadata all that stuff is captured and is made available for um, you know people to consume and so on and so forth. So and then there is the platform aspect of it that comes into the picture because. Uh, if every product manager is trying to publish their data sets, as an example, where do they publish it? Um, how do they publish it? And uh, how do they make it easy for people to consume it and things like that? Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's uh, I mean, we can talk, you know, hours and hours on this, but uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, where I'm going with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh you know, since you are, you know, through this modernization process, right? And there would be a lot of tools you would be considering for various aspects of this whole modernization project, right? Tell us from a data leader perspective, you're a data buyer, you know, you are the guy who is, you know, not specifically you, but you and your team are kind of responsible for, uh, you know, procuring these new softwares, new capabilities to be able to do all of these kind of things, you know, and we have a lot of, you know, members in our community that, you know, our data vendors, you know, who are looking to, uh, you know, provide softwares to, you know, to, to, to that enterprises like that of yours. Tell me your top three key buying criterias, you know, uh, if you want to take a specific example, would happy to kind of go through that. But when you're looking to procure and buy a particular software, what goes in your mind? I think first and foremost, what's the need? What is the problem that I'm trying to solve, Right. And um, and what's the business value? Is there a you know value the uh, business value that I'm providing by you know doing this? Um, majority of the times I don't approach it as it as a technical um, you know up, upskilling or up um, you know upgrade project kind of um, uh, mindset. I look at it from a What's the value? Why do we need to upgrade this? Why do we need to spend this money? And, and why do we need to uh, spend so much time and effort to do this? Uh, not only from my organization point of view, but also the the end users who might be using it because they might have to be brought in to do some testing and you know um, and things like that. So ultimately, it goes back to the the, the purpose, the the business case the value that you're providing. And if it is solving any business problem um, uh, quicker and you know things like that. So I always approach it from that perspective and I try to anchor it to their business uh, objectives for that particular year and anchor it you know, around that. Uh, secondly, you know, the, the question then is, you know, is this something that I can build or buy, right? And if something exists, uh, you know, 60, 70, or 80% of the time, then, you know, you'll have to make a decision. Uh, how much of customization do you have to, to, you know, do you have to have your team do versus do you, um, you know, just go and buy the product and uh, rather than reinvent the wheel, you know, uh, you, you reuse uh, some of the existing functionalities that, um, um, that, the, that the vendors provide. If my... I don't want my team to go build solutions that already exist out there, or you know, even it's if it's loose uh, or loosely there, then you know, I would still want to explore that because I, I think the the focus should be on providing business value than 
uh, building the next best uh, ETL tool out there, just as an example, because that's not what my team, you know, uh, needs to be doing uh, to provide business value. Um, so then the then the third item is uh, what 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 are the requirements? What do what do I need from that tool? What am I looking from it? Uh, what do I expect from it? And and so on and so forth. Now there are certain things that we try to capture, and um, uh, but there are cases where I go to the industry experts like Gartner's of the world and so forth, and um, they provide a good uh, comprehensive uh, um, requirements that you can uh, you know make use of, and uh, and we tailor it to our needs um, and and add in our our specific requirements and so forth. And then we involve our procurement folks to, you know, to call for RFPs and uh, and uh, you know RFIs, and you know, to go through that whole process to, um, you know, bring yeah. in the experts, uh, you know, in that space. And some of them, uh, our, you know, procurement team might know. Some of them we might have to roll up our sleeves doing our research and doing our exposure in the industry and using things like. Uh, uh, for a support or Gartner's magic quadrant to determine what what vendors um, um, should we explore, and uh, and so that that's how we kind of start and uh, we you know have that dialogue, and then the one other thing that we always like to do is we like to score the vendors based on you know what the needs we are expecting, and that way it's always quantitative, not uh, emotional or you know anything like that. And where does this consideration between open source versus a commercial offering comes in? So, very good question. And uh, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one because, first of all, do I have that skill set in my team? Um, um, you know, it's it's somewhat easy in the Java side of the world, but uh, but on the data side, it's it gets a little bit tricky. Um, you know, what what is it that I'm trying to bring in as an open source? Um, you know, Take some examples. Airflow is an open source solution. Now, do you um, leverage, you know, Airflow and set it up yourself, and then start maintaining and managing it? Um, how many people do you have? How many people are you willing to put on it to build an ecosystem, you know, Airflow infrastructure, and and, and build the capabilities to make sure that uh, Airflow scales to the needs of the organization and things like that. Um, yeah, because it has so many other, you know, complex uh, architectures baked into it, um, uh, you know, uh, Kubernetes and so on and so forth. And does my team have that background in bandwidth and so on and so forth? Um, and and so similar to like buy versus build, you know, should I go and buy in a, you know, uh, a managed service on this than, you know, do it myself? Um, do I have budget for this? What's the timing? You know, I think there are quite a few things that uh, factor in. Um, you know, time press. I would yeah. not want to go. You know, take an open source and and then go do this. I would rather go have that conversation with my leaders that I need this much money. Um, you know, than than you know, uh, uh, suck it up and then implement it by myself because then it's gonna hit me uh, one way or the other later. And largely, it's because of the team's uh, skill set or, you know, time it takes for them to come up to speed and all that. 
Now, if I have a fully baked team that has done this uh, in in their previous jobs, sure, you know, I would I would probably take a chance there. So it all depends on these other factors that I mentioned. About. So, yeah. so yeah. And one other thing which is pretty much related to this is you see a lot of companies that is they're in this you know modern data stack ecosystem. They're all young companies. You know, most of these companies have been been around for more than two years, maybe two two and a half years, right? And my question to you is, there's a there is a well conceived notion that you know it's hard for these you know young companies to get into you know companies like that of Salesforce. Uh, first of all, do you have any kind of experience in terms of working with these early stage companies while at Salesforce? And if so, what's what's your experience has been? I would speak general, not just at Salesforce. Um, I worked at small companies. I worked at large companies like Salesforce and and even bigger and so forth. Um, I, I think you have to have a lens of uh, um, what um, what does it take for you to bring in a vendor to support the enterprise needs, right? Um, enterprise needs are very different from uh, what in uh, the needs of a you know a small company or a startup are, uh, because you know most likely your team is probably able to get into it, you know, and so on and so forth. But enterprise, uh, you know, large companies, Fortune fifty companies have different kinds of needs. So I always um, wear that hat whenever I'm exploring vendors. Because I want the vendors to have a mature process of, um, you know, how do they manage their own releases? How do they push the product upgrades and so on and so forth? And and do they force me to go do the upgrades? Because, you know, doing these upgrades in a large company are fairly complex because you have to, you know, follow some release cycles. You have to follow some change management practices. You might be dealing with SOX aspects and things like that, right? And then, uh, so that's one thing I, I would like to look at those aspects. And then, secondly, what's their uh, uh, support organization looking like? Um, I try to get into those details because, um, uh, to me, it's very important. If my team runs into an issue, uh, we don't mind paying money, you know, to get that support. And we typically try to, you know, enter into those kind of conversations when we're buying licenses. But we need somebody to answer the call. And, you know, in the middle of the night on a, you know, uh, Saturday evening, if uh, if we run into an issue, we want somebody to do, get on the call and, and solve it. And you get that with uh, established companies. They have a pretty robust support structure. And um, that kind of suits my uh, personality if I'm working in a bigger company because then I know um, I, I I have some account managers on my hard speed dial and then I can call them if something, you know, if we're not getting looked into right away. So I think those relationships also matter. The bandwidth and the support structure that the companies, these, you know, uh, budding companies have also matters, um, you know, in, in these deal negotiations. Wow, that's very insightful. And on a on a you know on a on a different note, on a different topic, uh, you mentioned you know you guys are migrating to Snowflake as a data warehouse, and uh, you guys have a tremendous partnership with uh, with uh, Snowflake. You know, not just for usage for your internal own purpose, but from a public partnership where probably you know uh, very soon every Salesforce customer would be able to kind of you know in a very native way 
be able to export all of the salesforce data into you know snowflake and you know that's where you know people can build their own data applications on the top of snowflake itself now two questions here one is as a data practitioner where do you see this trend emerging to be you know what you know modern data stack as an ecosystem have been professing this fact where you know the data warehouse is the heart of the data ecosystem and that's where you start to build on the top of that and that's a big validation from salesforce to that ecosystem where sales you know data warehouse is actually the heart of this modern data ecosystem so one first question is uh, how do you see it as from a practitioner's perspective you know is is that a big validation to the whole data community and the second thing is would you see you know as a data practitioner would you see other software companies adopting such kind of data warehouse native approach to be able to sync their system of record source of truth data directly from those applications to a data warehouse without requiring a need of a etl tool like that of fivetran or and so on and so forth right so i'll answer this question more as uh, 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 Murli Kalem, 24, five years of experience and not as a Salesforce employee. Um, yeah. uh, but I'll also say that I'm very excited uh, about uh, Salesforce's product, uh, you know, the Genie Data Cloud. I think it has a lot of promise. But let's take a step back and understand um, what's the most uh, expensive part of, you know, a data warehouse. It's the ETL uh, activity. Um, you know, you build, you spend so much time and effort to build, uh, you know, these data pipelines that um, uh, the, you know, they have to be tested for quality and things like that. And if your uh, ETLs are somewhat rigid, then, you know, you add a new column to a database, uh, then, then that has to be, you know, database table, I mean, and then that has to be reflected in the ETL jobs and, and, and then on the target side and so on and so forth. So these have like a never ending loop of uh, you know, changes that you have to deal with. Um, and, and not to mention the testing and things like that. And if the data signature changes and you know, all these stuff probably have profound impact on uh, your ETL um, you know, activity. And, and I think you know, the onset of uh, zero copy um, you know, architectures that you know, uh, Snowflake and you know, the, these architectures bring, that is definitely one of our compelling factors within, you know, my organization right now that we are migrating to uh, Snowflake. But we are excited about this opportunity that Data Cloud brings to the table, where we can uh, minimize those ETL jobs and uh, and uh, and and leverage. Uh, I think the concept is, uh, you know, the federation, data federation, and largely it's uh, benefited through the, uh, you know, Apache Iceberg and you know. And the, those the onset of those open source, um, you know, standards and so on and so forth. So I think the future is very compelling. Um, it's high time data federation comes to limelight and uh, provides a lot of, uh, uh, you know, solutions that will reduce the pain points of the of the of the customers uh, data customers across the world. So so yeah, well, federation virtualization. I think these are very. Um, uh, what you say, uh, promising technologies for a lot of data practitioners. Amazing. 
and you know just uh, you know as, as we inch closer towards the end of this episode you know i'll have a couple of you know closing questions here for you murli was question is uh, you know there has been a cambrian explosion of tools that has happened in the modern data stack and the modern data ecosystem in the past couple of years you know there are a lot of tools that kind of went and you know came and went you know and there is we're seeing a lot of consolidation these days right uh, you know you know even if you go to, go and look at the modern data stack.xyz website you know there are around 28 30 different categories of tools that are out there and as a practitioner as someone who is actually working with data day in day out do you find that unsettling in a sense where you have you know a huge spectrum of tools each doing you know some piece of very specialized functions and you as a data consumer has to kind of buy these set of tools to be able to do at the job or would you would you see a future where you would have certain you know vertically integrated tools that are kind of capturing the entire value chain as a practitioner uh, i think uh, it helps me if i have very very few moving parts right i i, yeah. I would say that helps me and very few uh uh contracts that I have to negotiate very few sales people that I have to deal with and all that right but i think um the breakthroughs in the data industry have been phenomenal in the last uh, since 2000 i would say and and you see you know new technologies come up every you know uh, few years you know early on and now probably every few months there's something coming up right and and just as a tidbit whenever i go to conferences i don't go to the big uh, uh booths i go to the small booths because that's where the 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 uh, uh, disruption is happening and you try to understand what they're trying to do and what they're trying to solve and uh, sometimes it takes for you uh, you know a little bit for you to understand what they're trying to do because you are not completely thinking through the you know the 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 actual need and Uh, so a lot of great promise there and um as a practitioner do i want some of this consolidation happen uh yeah mainly because it's con- you know it's a convenient uh, thing for me but i'm sure uh if we focus on you know uh, specific aspects of data uh, i don't mind looking at it that way as an example i don't uh necessarily want to go with just one vendor for all data different data topics like you know data quality data governance and uh master data management and you know things like that i don't mind uh going with different tools uh best in class tools if they're uh, interoperable and and we i just yeah. need to figure out how much of customization that i have to do from my team's perspective to stitch these things together so so it it's it's about the pain that i have to go through versus the the integrated things that these um, vendors offer that's a brilliant perspective and you know the last question before we let you go today uh, any specific tool or technology within the whole data ecosystem that you are personally very excited about that's something that you say wow that was smart i will say the whole genie data cloud um, offering is um, it's a very compelling one i i um, not that I'm not saying this because I'm Salesforce employee, but I'm saying this as a general data practitioner. If if I'm on the other side where all my majority of my data resides in uh, you know Salesforce ecosystem, and I have 
few other data sources here and there that I want to bring in. I think that's a very compelling product um, that minimizes a lot of, um, um, you know, uh, that you have to do and so on and so forth. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that are also happening outside of that. Like, you know, we hear about chat GPT, you know, the open AI yeah. initiative that's very, you know, path breaking. Um, curious to see how we can leverage uh, uh, chat GPT type of solutions to solve, uh, um, you know, to revolutionize the the visualization or the the, the uh, analytics aspects of how people consume, uh, you know, the metrics and uh, reports and so on and so forth now. Yeah, and I hopefully, you know, very soon we should be able to see some kind of, you know, Tableau integration with GPT where you say, you know, what's my... Yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to it. You know, I hopefully, hopefully that comes out, sir. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Murli, for your time today. It was such an amazing episode for us. I hope, uh, you know, me and all of our audience had a good, uh, you know, key takeaways from this whole episode. So thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity.